Global Diplomacy Lab. Coffee Break. With Khaldun Asadi. Welcome to the GDL Coffee Break podcast, where we introduce you to the work and ideas of inspiring experts within the Global Diplomacy Lab network. This episode will be packed with insights into work routines, perspectives on global challenges and sources of inspiration from our wonderful guest. Enjoy your coffee or whatever hot or cold beverage you prefer along the way and please consider the show notes as they provide further information on the topics raised. With me today is Katarzyna Hanula. She is a public policy manager and social entrepreneur with a background in sustainable finance, international development, education and technology. She has extended experience in policy and programs design, implementation and assessment. And she also has multi-sectoral experience and is specialized in sustainable business strategy, responsible investment, strengthening relationships with stakeholders, reinforcing reputation, promoting alliances and impact delivery. It seems like the list can't get long enough. Kasha, it's so great to have you on board. Hi. Hi, thank you for having me. Okay, so these are a lot of things that you're doing. Uh, please introduce us to your work routines. Like, how do you get things done that you're getting done every day? That's a very good question. I also have a four-year-old, which is uh, kind of a good motivator to finish my work on time because I always like topics that I was lucky enough to always work on things that I find very interesting and fascinating that has the possibility to extend your working hours basically to 20, 20 few hours days. Mm -hmm. So also having somebody who is a limiting factor, it's, uh, it's actually good because it makes me more focused. So my work routine, it's, uh, I'm becoming a morning person. I was never a morning person, but right now I find the most inspiration from like 5 to 7.30. And uh, this is when I can do most of my writing and reading. And this is actually something I was never in my life a morning person, but I found this kind of change uh, very useful. Wow. So, so you're actually one of those people that you see on Instagram slides, you know, that, that say, you know, get up at five and get the things done. You cannot prove that that's actually working. That's how, how you should do it if you want to have an effective work day, I guess. Yes, you're exhausted by 11 a.m., but indeed in the morning you can do a lot of, <laughs> a lot of things. So uh, it's also good for me because I started working for myself. So I'm not in a, a formal a kind of work relation right now from nine to five and I work on a project base. So I can choose the project that I feel that uh, I want to do at that exact moment and I have energy to do. So for example, if, if I feel like I, my energy is a little bit unfocused, I definitely won't be doing something that requires a lot of reading and maybe writing and focusing. That could be something that if I'm feeling that I have a lot of energy, I can, I can do multiple things and in a shorter kind of attention span. And then the deep work needs to be somehow uh, chosen in a different moment of the day. I see. It's important for you to get up early and to do reading, writing in the morning. And then it's also important to listen to your body, to your individual energy level. How do you structure the rest of your day? What are your tips on that? I think, uh, you know, our work is always externally motivated, right? And influenced by ex a lot of external factors. So if it depends a lot on 
on the calendar and on the need. Uh, for example, I have a project uh, that I'm working on right now, which is focusing on the uh, financial inclusion on refugees. And because it's an advocacy project, I have a lot of external meetings. I'm meeting a lot with experts. So, so that's also depends on how the calendar is being shaped by other people. I also do um, sometimes uh, writing. So then I know that I need to block extended period of times to do writing and analysis and and those type of things. So so I think it it's all depends. Um, and I don't know what would be a good solution. I think it's a very um, individual thing to listen to, to your body, as you said, to your energy level. I had this tendency, especially when the COVID started, that I was thinking that the life is like it used to be. And I then I had a team of 10 people that I was managing. And I was thinking, no, I can uh, I can do basically no break, no work. You know, I can be all the time available, exposed to the technology. And it's not like this. It's, uh, you know, at certain point, even if you don't believe that, uh, you know, you cannot handle that, your body is just giving you the, the hard stops and telling you that sometimes you need to really listen to it. You already mentioned a topic that you are currently working on about refugees. Would you say that this concerns also a global challenge that's important for you, that you would also like to share with us here? Yes, definitely. The topic is very interesting for me and I find it extremely relevant. I think coming from, from a lot of discussion, political discussion in Brussels, uh, we lose this uh, human element of this, that those are like, we, we consider refugees as uh, as a group, we don't consider it as a state. And I think, you know, those people had their life somewhere that were taken away from them, and now they have to find their new, uh, themselves in the new situation. So um, I find that bringing more this this human factor and working with, with individuals It's very relevant, but it is something that is very often omitted when we're talking. It's, it's, uh, I come from finance. My background is finance. Mm -hmm. So when you start talking about like an abstract numbers of like 100 billions, it's, it's, it's just, it stopped having any relevance. I worked during the financial crisis and it was that, that the losses of the banks were just so enormous that it just being a number. And here it's a little bit different because we talk about people, but we're using the same kind of frames that, You know, they stop being individual, they stop being somebody who had a life somewhere else. And we just kind of making it into the one very obscure group, right? So this is the thing that I found a little bit inhumane. So I want to work on the issue just uh, because I think from the, all the experience that I had, I, I can actually make a difference. Please explain that to me. I mean, that is a very difficult role that you're in. I mean, you're in controlling and finance and, and you already said it individuals become abstract numbers, you know, involved in anonymous structures. How do you become sensitive for the fact that these are individuals? And how do you see that also within your day-to-day -day work? How do you remind yourself of the fact? It's actually easy for me because I consider myself humanist. And I really do believe in the individual and the human as the carrier of the most interesting stories. So I always connect with people because I find people extremely interesting. So for me, this is maybe a natural way of looking at the different problems by the lens of the people who are and their experiences. 
Of course, I'm, I'm not saying that me single-handed, I'm going to just solve all the, you know, refugee issue and, and refugee problems. But I think it's relevant that somebody who, who can uh, understand the, the process, how, how the policies are being shaped, is also able to connect at more uh, personal and human level with the people that are actually the, you know, the, the groups that, that we are trying to, to change something. Although me, I, I, of course, I cannot have the same experiences as a person who is coming from currently from Ukraine or a person who's coming from Afghanistan. But I can listen and I can try to understand. And what I can also see is how the realities that we are here, what could be made to, to actually support these people to when they are in the different countries and what they need, right? Mm -hmm. Can you just explain quickly for our listeners, um, what is it that you do in your day-to-day -day work to support refugees? I'm working on two levels. I'm working on the program level and I'm working on the advocacy level. So I'm on the program level, I'm working with the, I'm, I'm building a program for the Ukrainian women who are uh, coming to Poland to help them establish businesses and become entrepreneurs. So this is this knowledge uh, sharing, uh, partnership building and support. So we're trying to create an environment when um, it's it's a program that is focusing on women, when the women can understand better what what it is to become entrepreneur in, in the new country and trying to provide them with the mentors, with administrative support and any other support. I do it with colleagues from the organization that uh, that I'm currently working with. And on the advocacy level, I work with a few organizations, including UNCHR, when we're trying to build more broad, multi-stakeholder understanding of what is actually needed when we're looking at the refugees' needs in the aspect of financial inclusion and economic empowerment. So what, what financial solutions could be implemented to, to help them and what are the barriers and opportunities that they are facing? Can you give us an example what financial inclusion should look like? Like, what are you advocating for? Maybe you can make that a bit um, tangible with an example for us. Sure. So um, financial inclusion, it's a really interesting topic because it never comes as a part of when you first think about how to provide uh, somebody with uh, with their needs. So if you have somebody who is coming to to a new country, they always need something first, like the housing or a healthcare or, uh, you know, some sort of immediate support. But then when you go to a second layer, you think that, for example, if you want to have a job, you need to have a bank account because you need to be paid. And somehow it is really difficult for people who may not have their documents in order or who may not have all the required uh, identification to open the bank account. And of course, there, there's a, a lot of rules that are being set, like, yes, refugees, if they have approved status, they should be able to apply for the bank account. But then there's a lot of regulation, like know your customer regulation, when the bank can say, like, unfortunately, we cannot identify you as a client, so uh, we cannot really open you a bank account. And then it's the law is there, but the practice is completely different, right? And when you don't have a bank account, 
then of especially right now when we're going to a cashless society in a few of the uh, European member states, the cash is not any more valid, then you really have very limited opportunities to, to kind of, you know, provide your, your livelihood, right? You don't have a bank account. Then there's also the lack of understanding of different financial products. And I'm not only saying that this is the particular group that is not understanding the, the, the product, but there's a lot of misconception of what's uh, insurance, like why should I have an insurance? What is the saving account? In some countries, it, it's completely natural and you assume that, you know, it, it's uh, the knowledge as a given. But in some countries that we have uh, refugees coming from, th- this is not the level of understanding. So then you have to actually also teach people of why they need to build the financial assets and why they need to have a certain part of insurance. It's a lot of things that uh, never come out as the, as the first thing. It always comes out as a secondary, but they become like a crucial aspect if you want to establish yourself in, in the society. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of these topics are something that for people that have not fled from their home countries um, might not think about that this can actually be a big hurdle. Thank you for giving that insight. But Kasia, what inspires you to do this work, which seems to be for me, of course, to a certain extent, something very fulfilling, maybe sometimes also a bit dry, I don't know. Uh, For me, numbers are sometimes a bit dry. But what inspires you to do the things that you do day to day? (laughs) As I said, I like people and want to create a positive change in the uh, world. I always chose a career that um, had some meaning and maybe it came from this like, you know, very romanticized vision that uh, certain profession have. So that was, for example, why I, I decided that I wanted to be a lawyer. So I went to study in the law school and then I did my other master's in law. And after that, I went to the corporate law firm and then you realize how far you are from any sort of, you know, possibility to do a positive social change. I'm not saying that the lawyers are not doing good things, but, you know, when you watch these movies when the lawyer is always the one that is kind of bringing justice and, uh, yeah, it's it's a little bit different world. So so then I, I decided that maybe I, I will do it from a little bit different angle. So I moved to working for the public administration because what was more serving public than a public administration, right? Like you are a public officer, yeah. right? So you should be all for the public. Well, you know, it's also sometimes not, uh, not, 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 not the way to, uh, to do it. And then, of course, I have a different career. I was an advocate during the post-Lehman uh, scenario when there was this financial, global financial crisis. So I was, I was a lobbyist on behalf of the society, uh, lobbying against the, the big banks that the taxpayers don't have to you know, pay anymore for the misdeeds of, of banks. So that was an interesting part of my career, I think. Then uh, I was uh, heading the policy and advocacy work for Inter- Confederation of Development NGOs. And then I decided that maybe it's also the impact is not there as, as much as I would like to. And so I, when I found actually the most impact is education. It's really amazing that um, education is really something that you can really feel that you can change something from the ground, that you can really, you know, understand people, that you can really empower people, that you can provide the the social uh, mobility for them. And and I did my MBA in education in Finland, and it was very interesting of, of how different the Finnish system, education system is actually from the other systems. And I also work for uh, Professors Without Borders, 
providing uh, like education mobility between uh, the global north and global south. Uh, so so it's also, so it's also very interesting. So I, I do believe that you know education is actually the way forward for a lot of solving a lot of of problems that that we have. Yeah, I mean, wow. I mean, in this podcast, I now become more and more repetitive because I, I always say at the end that I'm really inspired by the people that I'm talking to, but, but it's actually the truth. Thank you, Kasha, for taking the time and I wish you all the best and I hope to see you. Thank you very much and I hope to see you too. Thank you for listening to this episode of the GDL Coffee Break Podcast. Executive producers are Nele Finsel and Lea Schindler. Audio production by Thomas Reintjes. Visual design by Juli August. Music, Brett, produced by La Crembo. This is your host, Khalduna Sadi, and I hope you tune in next time.